Hello and welcome to the Virtual House Church. I'm your host, Rob Skiba. I'm excited to be joined this evening by Jake from Now You See TV. Hey, Jake, how you doing, man? Hey, guys, what's up? Yeah, yeah ready to ready to rock and roll here. Whoops, I'm all dark. Let me see if I can fix that. Ooh, there we go. A little light. bit brighter. Let there be light. A little bit too overexposed. There we go. All right, so, uh, well, let's just jump right in, I guess. Um, do a screen share for everybody who's joining us here for the first time. Welcome. Uh, everybody who's joining us again for uh, another time, welcome also. <laughs> Thanks for uh, coming on to the Virtual House Church this evening. The website is the uh, virtualhousechurch.com, virtualhousechurch.com. If you're brand new to all this, I recommend you start with the Coming Out of Babylon link. If you click on that right there, that's uh, for really people who are brand new to all this, want to know what's going on and what does it mean to come out of Babylon and start walking in the things of God. There's uh, audio. You can get the Getting Back to Basics Parts 1 and 2 from a previous broadcast back in 2010. And all kinds of other resources here for you to check out that will get your feet wet and uh, give you a, a pretty decent idea. Look at all these videos that have been pulled. Jim Staley videos. Man, that's just, it's like every week there's another one pulled. That really just ticks me off. Anyway, lots of good resources there for you to check out. And uh, back on the homepage, there's a, a really good fellowship finder. If you're looking for somebody to actually uh, break bread with and you know spend time with face-to-face, -face, just go to this uh, little app right here. It's on the front page. You got that from 119 Ministries. And you can just zoom in. I mean, all these blue dots, especially if you live in America, in the United States, there are lots of them to choose from. And if you live somewhere, let's say right in this area here, John Webb and Ringstar, Texas, there's some phone number and website, looks like, and email. So you can contact uh, John if you happen to live somewhere near your Ringstar, Texas. And you can do the same with any, you know, any of these blue dots that might be near where you live. So highly recommend you check that out. And in the meantime, this is a virtual house church, just like the website says. And um, people from all over the world uh, can, can and have tuned in to listen live each week and um, go through the what they call weekly Torah portions, where somebody thousands of years ago divided up the Torah into uh, sections that can be read each Shabbat. And if you do it every week, you end up going through the entire Torah in one year. Then after the prophets were written, they matched up uh, writings from the prophets that go along with that particular week's Torah portion. And then, of course, when the New Testament was written, they did the same thing. So um, this week, if you scroll down in the main menu here, we are doing, I believe, Deuteronomy week number 48. Let me just confirm that here. Uh, this is a free calendar. It's on the website. Uh, if you look in the left-hand menu, you can click on that calendar right there. It'll open up a PDF like this one here. And um, we are August 26th is tomorrow. Yep, show team. So these are the readings right here reflected up here on the page, Deuteronomy 16, 18 through 21, 9. And the prophets, Isaiah 51, 12 through 52, 12. And these are the uh, New Testament readings right here. I do have to update this page, it looks like, because that's the old calendar. So but at any rate, these are videos and teachings and notes from previous year's broadcasts. Uh, if you haven't listened to those, I highly recommend that you do so. 
Uh, and there's a ministry out there called Parsha in 60 Seconds. It, Parsha just means study. And basically what they've done is distilled this week's Torah portion down into a 60-second soundbite. So I'll go ahead and play that, and uh, then we'll get started. This is what this week's Torah portion is about. Shalom and welcome to Parsha in 60 seconds. Today's portion is from Deuteronomy 16, 18, 21, 9. It is called Shoftim, which means judges. Moses sets up an impartial justice system without bribes and warns the Israelites against setting up idols. Sacrificing an ox or sheep with any serious defect was not cool. Two or more witnesses were required to convict an idolater to death, and the witnesses would throw the first stones. If a false witness was found out, then they would meet the fate of the one who they were trying to falsely accuse. The Israelites were free to set a king above them, taking an Israelite chosen by God. The king was not to keep many horses, marry many wives, or collect excessive silver and gold. <coughs> Solomon. The king was to keep the law, and his descendants would enjoy a long reign. The Israelites were not to imitate the evil practices of the nations, such as child sacrifice, witchcraft, and fortune telling. Moses foretold that God would raise a prophet from among them like Moses, and they were to listen to him. False prophets would also arise, and they must be tested. If found false, they would be put to death. The cities of refuge were established for accidental deaths, such as an axe head falling off the handle and killing a neighbor. When attacking a town, they were to offer terms of peace. Surrender meant enslavement. Not surrendering meant the men were killed and the women, children, livestock, and everything else were taken. Unidentified bodies were absolved by God after a ritual involving a heifer. And that is show team in 60 seconds. <laughs> there you go. That's what this week's Torah portion is about. And so let me just fix that there. I uh, also recommend you check out these um, resources right here, these PDFs uh, that were done in 2008, 2009 by a woman named Ardell from yourlivingwaters.com. Always found those to be really insightful. Great information there. Check those out. And... Um, Oh, there's a trailer here for the Way documentary. If you haven't seen that, that's a pretty cool documentary, if I might say so myself. Uh, you can go to thewaydoc.com and check it out. And oh, it looks like apparently when I did this back in 2013, that was right after I had uh, <laughs> I had um, my wisdom teeth taken out and actually found out that uh, uh, there was an abscess in my jaw and, and basically I had just a little bit of sliver of a bone left holding my face together. So they had to reconstruct all that and um, put new bone material in and all kinds of interesting stuff there. And I actually did a broadcast that night <laughs> with ice packs on my face. So, wow, that was pretty hardcore. It turned out all right. It looked like you had a, quite a big bandage on there. I, I'm glad you, you know you healed up you know, quite well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That was, uh, yeah, it wasn't pleasant actually. And even to this day, I still can't feel the left side of my tongue. Uh, it's, you know, there's some nerve damage, I guess. And like half of my tongue is numb and for man, the better part of, I want to say about six months, I was always biting my tongue cause I couldn't feel it. Uh, so I've obviously since adapted to you know be able to deal with it, but still a little bit of an annoyance. Um, and it looks like that's all I have for notes from that year. Not a whole lot going on, it looks like. So uh, we'll turn it over to you, Jake, and um, I guess just open up the phone lines and we can have some dialogue about this week's study. Yeah, sure thing. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess uh, this week there's a couple of different things um, I definitely uh, would like to talk about. Um, uh, first off, uh, so, you know, I don't have to catch back up, but, you know, some the big news thing that's just happened recently was, you know, the solar eclipse. Did you happen to get to see that? Well, uh, in, it, it didn't happen here in Texas, um, although it was interesting. It was like somebody took a big dimmer switch to, to the sky. Um, it was a pretty sunny day here, fairly clear skies, but it was like you're wearing sunglasses, you know, when you walked outside, it was like, man, this is kind of odd. I mean, it's sunny out, but it, 
it's like there's a dimmer switch on, you know. Uh, then, of course, a few minutes later, everything came back to normal again. But, no, I did not go out and uh, wasn't one of those that got to see it. Uh, but, I, you know, look, I mean, I think it's a pretty cool thing to be able to see something like that. I mean, it's not, you know, for many people, it's a once-in-a-lifetime deal that you see one uh, that's in proximity to where you live. Um or that it's over the United States in general. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, it's going across this pathway and it's going to, you know, the Yosemite Park's going to blow up and then the, the New Madrid fault line, see, look, it's crossing all these hot parts and, you know, California's going to drop in the ocean and smoke's going to fill the skies forever and the East Coast's going to drop into the ocean and the United States can be divided in half and doom and gloom, the end of the world, and just in time for September 23rd for this, you know, stellar alignment. I, I, you know, obviously, <laughs> I don't believe that. I didn't believe it before. I don't believe it now. Um, I was yep. not jumping on that bandwagon. I did see a lot of videos out there, people saying this is it for America. And I'm like, look, I mean, did anybody see Easter Island fall into the ocean on, it was it July 11th, 2010, when, you know, that was a big event. Everybody got to see the, the solar eclipse. It was really only visible from a few islands and Easter Island being one of them nothing bad happened. And that's an island full of pagan gods. You know, uh, yes, there are times in history when apparently there were complete solar eclipses that took place during some sort of, you know, catastrophe, judgment, or what have you. That Yeah, there are a few, but, I mean, eclipses happen. I mean, they're fairly regular occurrences. Uh, and the vast majority of the time, they don't result in, Earthquakes, tsunamis, you know, end of the world scenarios for a city, for a region, for a state, a country, a continent, or anything like that. So, uh, you know, this is kind of like the blood moon tetrad deal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, you yeah. know, one thing um, uh, that I was looking at before it happened was uh, um, it was passing across seven Salem's in the United States. And, and then that was another little interesting coincidence. Um, but, uh, I ended up going down with, uh, our fellowship and, uh, we went to Hopkinsville, Kentucky, which is the place of most totality. It was like the, you know, the center of the news and all that. And so it was, you were there. Oh yeah. I was, I was in Hopkinsville nice. Kentucky, and, and it was really awesome because the last time I was in Hopkinsville was when I became a believer. Hmm. So I got saved in Hopkinsville, um, in 2014. So it, was, it was really cool to go back and visit and you know, we were going during the solar eclipse, you know. Um, so it, it, it was fun. It was really cool to see everything change and, and go dark and, and see that, you know, black hole appear in the sky. So we had a really good time. And, and it was not all that it was hyped up to be. The ground didn't burst open and, you know, <laughs> you know flags and locusts didn't fly out of, you know, anywhere. But it was, it was a good time. And, and I know that's been on the news and been a lot of talk about that recently. So I wanted to hear if you had gotten to experience any of that. No, uh, I'm curious though about Hopkinsville. Um, uh, I did some research a while back uh, when I was doing this uh, real X Files series and you know doing some videos dealing with that kind of stuff. And one of the really bizarre UFO encounters was the where, actually where the phrase "little green men" kind of really took off into pop culture. Kelly that was the Kelly Hopkins, Kelly Hopkinsville. UFO sighting in 1955. Last year, I did a report. Um, it's on our YouTube. Uh, went down there and we interviewed the lady who uh, was the granddaughter of the people 
that were there during the attack and she had mm. written the book. Um, we got a, a bunch of cool shots. So that's actually on our YouTube. Cool. Uh, there last year um of course i didn't make it out this year there were like hundreds of thousands of people and the traffic was awful so we just uh. went to a family member's house but it, it you know it's really cool um whenever you kind of hear the story I, I don't know you know too much about the validity of it um but <laughs> i tell you what whenever i went out to that festival um it was the most bizarre thing it was an alien festival right where all the people who are supposedly believing in aliens and ufos and little green men are supposed to come out and show up well whenever we get there the entertainment for the entire festival is these kentucky hillbilly <laughs> gospel singers <laughs> so for the entire <laughs> festival they're singing old school hymns and <laughs> stuff over top of this like alien convention that they're going and interviewing people and nobody believes an alien they're all just showing up for the event i guess <laughs> so it, it was it was it was really quite odd especially you know the uh, <laughs> environment of just you know hodunk kentucky way out in the middle of nowhere type you know people showing up none of them believe in aliens they're just there to <laughs> dress up and and have a good time, but I'm sure some weirdos probably showed up this <laughs> this year, you know, with the the eclipse and stuff. Yeah, that's bizarre. I didn't realize it was the eclipse was going right over that same region. Yeah, was, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure there were definitely some some people getting all, you know. In fact, it was the anniversary. the uh, The eclipse went over on the anniversary of the event of the little green man uh, phenomenon. On the same day. I, I, it was very like within that weekend is the anniversary of the the alien attack. Wow, in 1955, huh? Yes. Yeah. Huh. Well, yeah, I'm sure there was somebody out there trying to make the connections. See, see, this is a sign. Back here, it's, you, know. <laughs> yeah. you know. Of course, some people are like don't speak too soon, Rob. You know. I don't know what this. What do you? What would you say? The statute of limitations, or you know, what? What the? What's the window of opportunity? You know, because you know, hang on, it's coming. You know, you know, th this comes first. The sign comes first, and then comes the judgment. Yeah. Um, you know, is America headed for judgment? Yeah, I, yeah, I could see good reason to believe. Sure, certainly. Um, but I, you know. This is all coming on the heels of the Blood Moon Tetrads. It's also coming on the heels of doom and gloom prophesied for every September for at least the last five years, and it's it's the prelude to this um, you know supposed Revelation 12 alignment and the stars on September 23rd this coming year. Um, Rico Cortez put something on his Facebook page today um, that I I just basically gave a big thumbs up and an amen to. Um, let me see if I can find it. He said, um, let me just do a screen share so people can see it too. <clears throat> he said, I cannot wait for all the hysteria, assumptions, speculation about the last days during the next month to be over. If Messiah returns, uh, trust me, I think he's meant to say trust me, I will be happy. But if the speculation of the return does not happen and is not the true jubilee like some assumed, I hope they will just chill out after Yom Kippur and focus on those things that we are actually called to do, and that is to do righteousness and justice. Have mercy on us, Adonai. Many are speculating about the Jubilee year, and I hope you all realize that when nothing happens, we will have to wait another 50 years. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm with him on that. I, I'm i not one of those who believes that we are in a Jubilee year. 
Uh, and mainly because when I looked at all the calculations for it, they're all going off of 1948, 1967, and 9-11, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, from my perspective, from my research, all of that was orchestrated man-made stuff following a script. And, you know, these Luciferians, they know the Bible too. And so they know how to take, what, what did the serpent do right from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3? First thing he does is take what God did say and then twist and manipulate it to, you know, cause men to stumble. What and, did you, you know, John's presentation, um, we had we did an episode on his presentation that he did at the conference, kind of really exposing this Zionistic uh -huh. mentality. Um, and it goes right along with what you're saying. Yeah, I, I, first of all, that conference was awesome. Uh, I apologize for, you know, I was like on my way down to Austin and I was like, uh, John, I totally forgot to s try to set something up for somebody to take over Virtual House Church tonight because I'm on the road. Um, I think you guys just came on and said, hey, nobody's here, so <laughs> have a good Shabbat or something last week. <laughs> but So sorry that uh, there wasn't enough pre-planning for that, but uh, I thought the conference was fantastic. Um, every speaker, I, I thought, uh, complimented the other speaker's material in a, in a unique and wonderful way. Um, and I, John knocked it out of the park, as did uh, David Caracol. And Robbie Davidson too. I mean, and everybody, everybody that spoke, I thought did a really good job. But yeah, I was, I'm sitting there back there going, "Ooh, John's coming out with the big guns here, <laughs> right off the bat, John Pounders." Yeah. Um, but yeah. you know, I think if you followed my work long enough, you know, I'm pretty much in agreement with what he said. Yeah. Um, so yeah, with this, uh, with this portion, um, it covers some really interesting topics, um, especially following last week's portion, which was the Deuteronomy 13 test yeah. for false prophets, um, which is something so important, and I think it's totally lost on the modern Christian church, is really how do we decipher some, what, what somebody's teaching us? How do we um, decide if they are from God or if they're from God but sent to test us? Um, which is another interesting part of that portion is that he sends the false prophets. It's not you know, necessarily something that's coming from the enemy, but the Father allows these people to work signs and miracles, and in fact, He gives them the ability to do so in order to test us and see if we truly have a heart for Him. So I think that is another really, you know, it, we didn't really get to talk about it last week, but this kind of ties into what tonight's portion is with about, about setting up judges. Um, it's about uh, being able to discern um, from right and wrong. And, and of course, you know, this brings to mind uh, a, a very popular phrase is judge not lest ye be judged, hmm. which seems to be, you know, something that we need to really look through the lens of this particular portion and understand proper judgment and how to judge according to scripture and also not to do the final judgment because final judgment is for the father um, to, to judge us. But it is important for us to judge righteously so that we don't let our brother you know, fall into sin and for sin to be in our cities and in our fellowships. So that's really kind of what I was getting out of this portion, uh, the, the importance of judges and, and being able to righteously say and take your brother aside and do it according to the word, while at the same time, uh, this, this, this portion really brings out the whole concept of don't, don't, you know, try to get the twig out of your brother's eye if you have a big log in your own eye. 
because you're going to be judged according to the judgment you place on somebody, which ties into the whole idea of if somebody has a, a witness that is coming against them, two or more witnesses in order to condemn somebody to death, well, guess who throws the first stone? It's the witness. The witness is the one who throws that first stone. And so if they are going to falsely accuse somebody, then that judgment falls back on them if it turns out that person's innocent. Mm-hmm. If they're going to condemn somebody to death and they're going to do it unrighteously, they're going to do it in a way not according to Scripture, then guess what? That turns right back around and that person was then guilty of death for trying to get somebody else to be stoned to death. And so really this whole concept of what is righteous judgment um, and also the biblical model of leadership and setting up elders and, and people who are the people at the gate to judge. And that even goes into another fascinating aspect of judgment being at the gates, being at the doorway before people are allowed to come in, before people are allowed to, I guess you could say, uh, you could you know tie it into people coming into your fellowship, becoming part of the body that you fellowship with, you know, the judgment starts at the gate. And whenever somebody is in blatant sin, and if somebody is completely in rebellion against God, then they're put outside of the fellowship. They're put outside of the gates so that the enemy can have their way with them. So by the buffeting of their body, their soul might be saved. And really that's kind of, you know, this whole portion is just about what is righteous judgment? How do we judge righteously? And how do we do so in a non-hypocritical way? Because often tolerance is intolerant. It's this postmodern mentality today where don't judge me. I can decide who I am and, and what is right in my own eyes. So don't, don't you dare put any judgment or, or con- condemnation on me. But the scripture seems to approve of righteous judgment, of going to your brother and saying, hey, look, I, I've seen you doing something that is against the word, or I see you doing something that's harmful to you, that, what is righteous judgment? And it's definitely not just being ignorant of the sin that's in our communities. That's not being ignorant of the sin that is happening in people around you, especially if it's blatant. Because then if they're continuing to sin outwardly, blatantly in front of you, and you don't warn them, we see scriptures saying, well, guess what? Their blood's on your head because you haven't gone to them and said, hey, look, you're doing something that is a curse. You're doing something against the Father. Uh, so, you know, this is really a, a uh, an interesting portion, definitely on the heels of last week. For sure. I'm glad you mentioned last week, too. I was I, When I saw what portion last week's was, I was bummed. I'm like, man, there's so much to talk about last week. Um, you know, the Deuteronomy 12 test regarding holidays and practices of, of how we should uh, worship Yahuwah. Um, I, in fact, in my in my workbook, the Deuteronomy workbook, I, I can't really see it's all blown out there, but um, I got a whole section in the Deuteronomy workbook on Deuteronomy 12 test and the Deuteronomy 13 test, you know, just laying it all out. And actually, I spent quite a bit of time on the Deuteronomy 12 test, but the Deuteronomy 13 test, um, you know, I really credit uh, 119 Ministries. They they put out a video called uh, the Deuteronomy 13 test, and I was like, wow. Um, because the typical view uh, in modern evangelical Christianity today paints Paul essentially as a person who fails, not just fails, but fails miserably the Deuteronomy 13 test. And I'm like, man, you know, if, if your Paul fails the Deuteronomy 13 test, then 
then he's a heretic that should be stoned and you shouldn't pay any attention to him and tear out all of his writings out of the New Testament. Fortunately for me, and I think everybody that's on listening here, at least that's on the broadcast right now in the thumbnails here, um, we believe that Paul passed the Deuteronomy 13 test. And the only way he could have been accepted as a writer of Scripture, I mean, Peter recognizes the writings of, of Paul as Scripture. The only way the first century believers would have accepted Paul's writings as Scripture would be for him to have passed the Deuteronomy 13 test because their higher authority, textual higher authority, was the Torah. I mean, that was their constitution. That was the Bible of the people in the Bible. When when the Thessalonians and the Bereans and other people are, are searching the scriptures daily to see if the things they're hearing from Paul and the apostles are true, well, the scriptures they were searching weren't Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or the epistles of Paul. They were searching the Torah, the prophets, the writings, the, the Tanakh, the Old Testament. And so that was their litmus test, you know, and... That being the case, that the, the fact that the Torah was their Bible, was their constitution, was their litmus test, there's no way Paul would have been admitted as an authoritative writer of Scripture if he failed the Deuteronomy 13 test. And the Deuteronomy 13 test, you know, just basically summarizes, look, if somebody comes along preaching that the Torah is done away with, even if he does signs, wonders, and miracles, you know, he's a, he's, he's, he's a heretic. And to your point, uh, Jake, it, it is interesting that Yahuwah would allow these as a way of testing us. In other words, if we allow somebody into our fellowship who's telling us to, to throw out the Torah, that's a test. That's a test for us. And we we better know this. Well, I mean, look, Deuteronomy is basically the 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 summarization of, of all five books, of you know, the previous four books summarized in Deuteronomy, and Yeshua quotes from Deuteronomy more than any other book in the, what we call the Old Testament. You know, and so we should know this the same way they knew this in the first in the first century. You know, in other words, in like in the FBI and whatnot, they, the, the agents will study a, a real, authentic $100 bill. They'll know that $100 bill forward, backwards, inside and out in every which way they can look at it so that when a counterfeit comes their way, they, they'll know that's not right. You, know, you have to know the real to identify the counterfeit. Well, most people in typical evangelical Christianity today do not know the real. That's why they can't judge the counterfeit. And, you know, there was a lot to talk about for last week. So I don't want to take up the whole show talking about last week. But it's also the Torah portion called uh, Re'eh. And... That was a Torah portion that I listened to um, the teaching by Jim Staley that he was doing on it a while back that right in the middle of my studies on the Yahuwah Triangle. And it was during that teaching that he revealed that um, that um, when God cut the covenant with Abraham, that he did that at Shechem. And I had already been on the, the path to believing that Shechem was ground zero, man. That's... Ground zero in the Garden of Eden, I believe Shechem is where the two trees were located, the Tree of Life, where the location of Gerizim is today, and the Tree of the Knowledge of Good and Evil, where Mount Ebal was. The blessings were on Gerizim, the curses were on Ebal. And Jim had made the connection that, you know, yeah, that's the first place Abraham, when he was Abram, was stopped when he came into the land of Canaan. He'll okay, stop here, take a look around, you know, this is all yours. Um, that's where God cut the covenant, the promise with Abraham. 
um, that's where the Israelites came back from the uh, Exodus. When they came after the Exodus, they came into the land. They were told to go there and divide the, half the, the Israelites on Gerizim, half on Ebal, blessings, curses. And he was uh, Joshua was supposed to build an altar. And right on it, the Torah, basically the you know at least the Ten Commandments, but you know the the, the law on uh, on this altar and put it on Mount Ebal. And I believe as a testimony to say, hey, look, this is where man screwed up in the first place. This is all. Look, remember everything we just learned in the Exodus and our time in the wilderness. Um, blessings, curses. Here's a little reminder: choose life, okay? Because the rest leads to death. And so Jim was making, he, he had realized that that's where Abraham cut the covenant, and that's the same place that the Israelites are going to walk right through, the same place where Yahuwah walked through the, the animal parts when he put uh, Abram to sleep. And uh, he hadn't made this connection, but I called him up after I saw that video, and we talked a little bit, and I said, yeah, dude, great insight there, and you know something you might not have considered. And I told him my findings about Shechem and how I believe that that's actually where God cut the first animal uh, you know, to clothe Adam and Eve, and that's where fellowship was broken in the first place, which is why Shechem is so important. And he's like, wow, that's really cool. You know, we, So we had a really interesting, you know, mutually beneficial dialogue on that. But all that was last week's Torah portion. Lots of stuff to talk about there. Um, it, just to save time, you guys could probably just watch the video um, in the resources that are on the page for, for last year. I'm sure there's stuff in there. And look into... Um, I think it was the Yahuwah Triangle Part 2 teaching. That's where I talk about all that and, and show the Jim Staley video. It's actually part of that teaching. Uh, so, yeah, going into this week's Torah portion, some of that's uh, reiterated. And what I had a note for myself in uh, Deuteronomy 19 is that in verse 17, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, which shall be in those days. In other words, it was not vigilante justice. You know, some people are like, oh, you know, if your kids are acting up, you're supposed to stone them to death. No, they had a legal procedure the same way we have a legal procedure. You know, people try to use this as, oh, if you're going to follow the law, then you better kill your kids if they, you know, badmouth you or, you know, somebody commits adultery, blah, blah, blah. You know, they're, they're advocating taking the law in your own hands without a judicial system. Yeshua didn't even do that. When the woman was caught in adultery, he followed the Deuteronomy procedure. He's like, okay, you know, who's going to be the first witness? Whoever's the first witness, you throw the first stone, right? And everybody's like, ooh, I'm out of here, you know? And so apparently she, you know, Yeshua knew that she had committed adultery, but there was no legal procedure that could be followed because there are no witnesses. So he asked her, where are your, you know, those who testify against you? And he's like, she's like, I don't have anybody. He says, well, I'm not going to judge you either. But then he says, now go and sin no more, which implies that he knew that she was a sinner, but he wasn't going to enact vigilante justice. He followed the judicial system. And that's what people don't really, because they don't study the Torah. They haven't read the Torah. They, they've read a couple of stories for Sunday school, but they're all wrapped up in the, this was nailed on a cross. We don't have to deal with it anymore. So they speak out of extreme ignorance when they try to judge us. And, you know, are you doing the 613, blah, blah, blah. You know, all that rhetoric nonsense that we all hear too, too often. It's like, just read it. There was a judicial system in place. You know, it's not about vigilantism. Um, man, I'm getting all fired up over here. Uh, 
That's okay. I think uh, uh, Juan and I are having both having the same reaction to your uh, your statement. Is it Rob? But I see Juan there laughing. I'm, I'm laughing <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's so funny to hear you, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll shut up now and let you guys talk. <laughs> well, I, you know, what you were saying there and everything else is, is so very valid. There, There's this, and, and uh, there, there's this one uh, preacher in the Flat Earth Movement, and mm -hmm. I think I might know who you, I think you might know who I'm talking about. I do. Who is, who is Mr. Mr. Galatians, mm -hmm. and, uh, and and he's he's basically... He's denying Torah and everything else, and uh, and 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 on the on the attack of those of us that that wish to keep Torah, and uh, and I I happened to watch one of his videos in there, uh, where he was claiming the title of prophet. Mm -hmm. Looking, looking, li listening to that is like okay. Well, what do you do with a false prophet? If you got the Levitical priest and you got the witnesses, you haul them out and stone them. So yeah, if they get anything okay. wrong. In fact, I actually so, made a note of, of that very thing in Deuteronomy uh, 18 uh, regarding another prophetess, Renee Moses, who has made, I don't know how many, this this weekend's the rapture. It's definite. It's guaranteed. Confirmed by scripture. You know, five <laughs> different ways from Sunday. This is the rapture. It's the rapture. And it was like, it was either last year or one of them. I mean, she's been doing it like every year. Um, you know, verse 22, 1822. When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, and so many of them do, you know, thus saith the Lord kind of thing. I've got the rhema word, right? <laughs> if the thing follow not, <laughs> nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but that prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. And, and as you pointed out elsewhere, you know, it says, look, you know, if a prophet claims to be a prophet, especially if he claims to be speaking in the name of the Lord, and whatever he says doesn't come to pass, outside stone to death, you know, through the judicial system. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And right. there'd be a lot of these guys out there that would have to be lined up to, you know, against the stony wall. Actually, actually, Rob, that's that's quite important based on what you were discussing before uh, about the the science and the people talking about the the science of the end of the time and things like that. I think uh, the important thing that we need to understand, we need to come back to Torah. We need to come back to the the word of Yahuwah, and we need to understand the science according to what the scripture teaches. What is the real meaning? And there are a lot of people that are talking that the September 23 is the rapture, that is the end of the world, and things like that. Also with the eclipse uh, last week, that is mm -hmm. uh, a lot of science. We need to understand all of those regarding the debate of Yahuwah. And actually, I was almost uh, ready to read what you already read. We need to understand that the things, the, the people that the, what the people are saying about the, this science and what is coming, is not happening. It's because it's not from Yahuwah. We need to understand everything that is according on what the Devar of Yahuwah, the Word of Yahuwah is teaching us. Yeah. Um, you know, in 1988, you guys, some of you have heard me talk about this before, that there was 40 years from 1948. So everybody was like, oh, 88 reasons why Christ is going to return in 1988. And, you know, I will say I was somewhat on that bandwagon. You know, I wasn't saying it's going to happen. But this was a year after I got out of high school and I was in the Army and I was saying, look, guys, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but, you know, it is, you know, this was when I was drinking the Kool-Aid about 1948. 
I was like, yeah, it's 40 years since Israel became a nation. And, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, and there were like alignments with, you know, I think it was like Jupiter and Mars and whatever. There was like several planets were lining up like perfectly or something at that time. And they're like, hey, you know, signs in the heavens, right? Um, and then nothing happened. And then there was, you know, I didn't think anything was going to happen on Y2K, even though there were a lot of people out there like freaking out about Y2K. I'm like, but God's, God's not freaking out because Microsoft, you know, has got a calendar issue. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Um, then there was December 21st, 2012, which, uh, you know, when I wrote Babylon Rising, uh, I, I wrote it in January, uh, published in January. Of, I wrote it in 2011, but published in January 2012. And at that time, you know, all of us who were writing about that date were pointing out that, look, there's a lot of interesting things through actually multiple cultures, including Native American, Indians, you know, all kinds of stuff, um, pointing to that date, including iconography on the back of the dollar bill. So, you know, I was careful, though, to say that I, I wasn't saying this is going to happen on December 21st, 2012. I was saying there's an awful lot of interesting signs that appear to be pointing that way. And that's what I would... I would caution people to take more of that approach than to get really dogmatic, which I see a lot of people doing. Look, Obama's been out of office for a while and everybody was like, he's the Antichrist. And I can't tell you how many people went psycho on me because I didn't agree with that. And they're like, he's the Antichrist. And of course, now they're waiting for him to get elected to the general secretary or whatever of the uh, United Nations and whatever they call him. Uh, and then we'll hear it all over again. But, you know, where did they, these people just like disappear or reset their bogus, you know, uh, prophecies. I never hear these people apologize. I never hear these people come out and say, "Wow, you know, I, I was." Again, they get so dogmatic. I mean, with the with the um, blood moon tetras, boy, there were a lot of people so dogmatic about it, and and now there are a lot of people that are so dogmatic about this nine twenty three September twenty three deal. Now, you and I, uh, 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 Juan, we did a show. In fact, I need to get it up mm -hmm. on YouTube. Um, probably next week um it, it aired on the radio and everything and but even in that show we're both like hey i mean look at the these are interesting signs and we are supposed to look for the signs and i think you know in some ways even the people in the first century were seeing signs that they thought you know it's imminent it's any day now and it may be that god put things in motion that way so that we already always are on guard, that we should always be ready, you know, um, and and that's my position right now. I'm like, oh, look, I got my eye on these things. I think they're interesting, but I'm looking at a whole lot of other things. Some people are ready to stake a flag and say, this is it, you know, get your rapture shoes on and start jumping, you know, get a head start. It's coming, and I'm going. Nah, I, I mean, I see some interesting signs, but there's a whole lot of other research that that I've done that, to me don't substantiate a belief that tomorrow's the end of the world or next month or any time in the very near future for that matter. Um, so I'm of the mindset, look, keep an eye on that stuff, but occupy till he comes. You know, I'm going hmm. to continue to live my life as if I have another 50 years to go. There's a, there's the concept um, in scripture that talks about how they're going to be scoffing and mm -hmm. saying, where's his coming? You know, where, where's he going? You know, where is he? And that's when he's showing up is when all the, all the people are scoffing, saying, oh, you know, we've been waiting past all of these signs and all of these wonders and nothing happened. And I really think that's part of what is 
you know what the what the purpose of these signs is is it one it's either going to make you repent and be like all right well this might be it i'm going to get ready or if your heart isn't you know towards the father then it just really it, it, it burns people out and they start looking at these signs and it comes season after season and whenever nothing happens then they just willingly choose to okay well look i guess the end's not coming look he's not really coming back and and that's when they are caught unprepared and i think that's an important thing to keep in our mind is whenever people start saying he's not coming back at all but today and in, in the past few years even the secular media is going could this be it <laughs> is this something you know what is this but whenever we look at these signs it the signs are things that you know they're coming before anything that does happen and they're to warn and it's to get people's hearts ready so we can't stake a flag on it and if you're going to use the sign to say all right i if this is it i need to get myself ready i need to get my heart ready that's probably what the signs are for is to say you know introflection to to check your heart and say if this is it i'm going to be ready but the people who are just going to start scoffing at it are the people who are getting burnt out by all these doomsayers and these false prophets, which ties into this whole, into last week's portion and in this week's portion, is they're giving these false prophecies, which is t completely burning people out. They're saying, "Look, you know, you've you've staked your entire prophetic ministry on the fact that those four blood moon tetrads are predicting the end days." Well they might have preceded the end days and these people who are calling those the signs of the times they they might have been right you know in in the fact that in the next 10 or 20 years the end, end days are starting but whenever you say it's happening this year it's happening now and it doesn't happen because you're not getting that word directly from the father it, it's it truly is burning people out people who might not truly be in the faith they might have gotten scared and said oh no but whenever nothing happened and you said it was going to happen isn't that pushing people away isn't it making them start to scoff at the signs which are there for repentance which are there to get us ready if something does happen for sure i think yeah, i think there's sorry Rob, to interrupt i think there's there's one thing that we cannot deny is that uh, there are so many things happening nowadays uh, in our days in the world in the system in the society in the science in the heaven and the earth that we cannot deny that we are living in the end times uh, mm -hmm. we don't know how long it will take uh, we don't know how many years it will, will happen uh, for for yahushua to come back but we cannot deny that we are living in the end times so that's why we need to we need to follow his advice and his advice as it's written in the in in the word in the scripture is that we need to be sober and we need to watch at all times uh, because we don't know when it's going to happen. And actually, it's written as well that it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen suddenly. When nobody's expecting it, it's going to happen. So, so no matter that, the, that maybe we can believe that it's going to happen tomorrow or maybe we are waiting for more years to happen, we need to watch at all times. And actually, it is written as well, and I think it's in First Peter or Second Peter, that the, any prophecy is of private interpretation. So we cannot interp interpret the prophecies according to our own thoughts and uh, according to our own ideas. We need to let the scripture to speak by itself. That's the only way to understand the prophecies. So every time that we hear any person, and it could be any of us actually, because uh, sometimes all of us are, 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 we can make mistakes. So 
every time that we are hitting people that are sharing interpretation of prophecies, we need to test it according to the light of the word of Yahuwah. That's the only way to understand if it's really what the scripture is, is teaching us or not. And by the way, Rob, uh, yes, you, you mentioned about what we discussed about the September 23. You know what I, what I believe? I think that September 23 is very significant. And I truly believe uh, and this could be the fulfillment of the Revelation 12 chapter. And, and maybe you, were, you, you could be interested to take a look on the videos I was sharing in, sharing in my channel last week, because I was uh, um, speaking specifically about what I believe is the true meaning of this Revelation 12. And what I did in the videos is just to let the scripture speak, just to understand what are the keys, what are the signs, and what is the real, real meaning of this sign. And for sure, we can, we can understand that maybe in that day, there's a lot of things that are gonna happen. But my belief that as I was sharing in, in the videos that maybe this is the kickoff for a series of events that are gonna start happening in a, in a period of time. And we don't know what the period of time is. Yeah, uh, my my whole thing is when you start doing stuff like this. This is a blog that I wrote back in 2011, and you know here we are going back what six years now. Uh, and and this guy Harold Camping was out there saying, you know, Judgment Day, May 21st, 2011. The Bible guarantees it. This is where we get into big trouble. When you start making claims like that, it's one thing to say, hey, you know, I got my eye on this sign. It, it appears to be lining up with Scripture. Isn't this interesting? Check it out. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that that's what you're saying is is a good thing to do. It's like, look, you were, if we're going to try to be watchful, well, what are we watching for? We're watching for the signs in light of what the Scripture says. Correct. But when you, like, plant a flag and put up a billboard and make bold proclamations like Rene Moses has done and other people have done, you know, repeatedly, this is it guaranteed. You know, I mean, this guy went out and, and put all these billboards up all over the place saying, you know, you know, repent May 21st, 2011. This is it. The Bible <laughs> guarantees it judgment day. And then, and then when that came and went, he said, well, he went back to the drawing board and said, well, he goes, this is actually what he said. He said, unfortunately, instead of admitting he was wrong, Harold Camping still insists that his predicted May 21st rapture was an invisible judgment day <laughs> and that it is ushering in the last five months before the final judgment, which is now scheduled for October 21st, 2011. Which, of course, wow. that has come and gone, you know. Um, and yeah. there have been lots of people like this who've done exactly that. Is they they you know they come up with all these stuff they got these charts and you know you know it, all this math that works out perfectly for whatever and and I think there was some and I could be mistaken but it seems to me I remember seeing billboards predicting this the, the couple of days ago the date um, and saying quoting the scripture I think there's a scripture that says something about this the sun will God will make the sun go dark at noon day or something like that. And, you know, somewhere in the world, uh, the time zone was around noon when the sun went dark with the eclipse the other day. And, you know, and if that wasn't it, it was something that's coming. But I remember seeing billboards, like this big black billboard saying, you know, this is it. The sun's going to go dark at noon and that's the end of the world. Um, that's where we get into big trouble. And I posted something uh, the day of the eclipse. Uh, I think it was. When was the eclipse? Was it the 22nd? Um I don't remember what 21st. day it was. 21st. 21st. Um, I posted something about that on my Facebook page. Uh, people, 
Okay, yeah. I wrote, um, <clears throat> people have been asking me about my take on the eclipse today. Honestly, it's off my radar. Eclipses have been happening for thousands of years. Nothing new. And while there are some cases where an eclipse was a sign for some judgment or another in the past, there are countless cases where it wasn't. Did anyone see Easter Island drop into the sea on July 11, 2010? I don't recall anything happening then. Nor to any number of other countries who had the privilege of going dark under an eclipse as they witness such a semi-rare event on numerous occasions just in my lifetime alone, much less throughout the five-plus millennia of history. That said, I'm intrigued by the 70-mile-wide shadow. <laughs> a shadow is always either the same size or bigger than the object casting it. Don't believe me? Go outside on a sunny day, look down, and the further away the object and or the light source, the bigger the shadow gets. So why then, if the moon has nearly the same diameter as the width of the United States, are we seeing only a 70-mile-wide circle of darkness moving west to east? Doesn't make sense to me. Of course, this is preceding the whole Revelation 12 connection to September 23rd, which has many all abuzz about prophecy allegedly coming to fulfillment. I've been getting emails and have seen some videos calculating all these dates and what's supposedly going to happen next and when. But this is nothing new. Been there, done that. While I do see some merit to that stuff regarding the alignment of Virgo next month, it, it means about as much to me as the whole Blood Moon Tetrads did in the previous few years and December 21st, 2012, before that, and the Y2K, the Y2K scare before that, and the 88 reasons Christ will return in 1988 before that. Look, keep an eye on this for sure. Repent and be ready for whatever may come, but don't go selling all your stuff and spend the next month, month practicing your rapture jump to get a head start on it. We'll still be here in October, and likely for many more years to come as I see it. Happy to be wrong? I hope I am wrong. But don't believe I am. I sh we shall see soon enough, I suppose. Either way, I'm not wigging out over this in the slightest. But yeah, I have some questions about this eclipse and the 923 stuff, just like lots of you do. And I had intended to make videos about it, but then I realized a few hundred others are already doing that, so there really isn't much need to <laughs> waste my time on it. All I know is we are commanded to occupy until he comes. I know the task I've been given, so I'm really redirecting all my time and energy back onto seed these days. And that's, you know, something I posted on the day of the eclipse because I had a, you know, few hundred people going, what's your take on the eclipse? What's your take on the eclipse? I'm like, eh, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, but to Jake's point, some people would say, you are fulfilling the, the scripture where you're mocking the return. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm just not going to be one of those guys that's going to put up billboards and say the Bible guarantees it when you're just speculating. And, and if you're going to get into the situation where you're saying, I've got the rhema word, thus saith the Lord, well, let's refer back to this week's Torah portion. <laughs> you know. The thing that gets me are the ones that talk about the, uh, the, the financial collapse that, that's going to happen before the end. And I go back to, to Matthew where he says um, that, that uh, it would be like the times of Noah. And, you know, what, what was happening? I'd close the door. They, they were, they were um, uh, eating and drinking. They were uh, uh, marrying and giving in marriage. So if you don't have any money, you're not going to be eating and drinking. You're not going to be um, the marriage thing. So uh, I don't think that a financial crisis before the end it's looks it looks more to me like it'll be a financial prosperity mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you brought up an interesting point, which was another uh, Facebook post that I did on the 22nd regarding the days of Noah. And, and this is one of the reasons why I believe we have more time. Yeshua said that the last days would be as the days of Noah were, Matthew 24, 37. I've been saying this for a long time now. We're not there yet, but we are definitely taking our first steps in that direction. And I believe by 2045, we will be there, assuming the stated objectives of modern science and the super wealthy are achieved. So what was going on in the days of Noah that differentiates those days from any other time in human history? One, blending of species creating hybrid chimeras. We're working on that. Living to just over a thousand years of age, or just under a thousand years of age. We're working on that. Plans to kill Yahuwah. I mean, just go read Psalm 2 and Revelation 19.19. That's the goal. Um, they're working on that. Evil and violence continually. We're not there yet, but we're working on it. Reaching for heaven. Well, you know, working on that. You know, <coughs> Regarding the last one, this caught my attention. There's an article uh, regarding NASA keeping their eyes on genetic experimentation taking place. And <coughs> I go on and say these are just some of the reasons why I believe we have quite a bit more time because the simple fact of the matter is we are not yet in the days of Noah. We are, however, beginning the process of doing exactly what was happening in those days. And, you know, some say that the days of Noah, you know, because he says, because in those days people were eating and drinking and giving a marriage. And I'm like, and, and that's what they want to hang their hat on. I'm like, yeah, right. That's, the, you know, God got so ticked off that people were doing what he told us and created us to do, you know, be fruitful, multiply, you know, and you got to eat and drink to live. Yeah, that ticks God off so much he's got to wipe out the world with the flood. Clearly, there's something else going on there besides just eating, drinking, and giving in marriage. I think the indication is it's just business as usual, but what was the business as usual that was taking place there? And, you know, uh, Genesis 6.3 gives us a, a big hint where it says that, you know, uh, man's days shall be, uh, be 120 years. And that's not capping out our lifespan. That's saying that there's 120 years left before the judgment that he was giving mankind the opportunity to repent, to stop what they were doing. He gave them a long leash to say, okay, repent, come back. But if you don't, the, the end of my grace period will be 120 years from now. I'm going to send a judgment. Of course, we know the story that didn't repent, so the flood came. And the article that I linked to here, man, I mean, just you click on this article and it's talking about why the super rich are plowing uh, plowing billions into the booming immortality industry. And I'm not going to read this here on the air, but I mean, if you just go through all of this, it is crazy. The stuff that they are talking about here. I mean, and this is real, this is really happening that the super wealthy and the scientists of the world are, are, desperately trying to find the key to immortality and their stated objective is to do so by the year 2045. You know, what do they know? I don't know, but I know that their plans are to achieve immortality parenthetically, we would say apart from God by then. And the methodology that they're using to achieve those goals is exactly what was going on in the days of Noah, but we're not there yet. We're basically making the announcements that, Hey, this is what we're working on. And I believe this is where we're in the Genesis 6-3 flare going off, saying, look, better knock it off, you know, because if you keep going down this path, all flesh is going to become corrupted and I'm going to have to wipe everything out again. And, you know, this is one of many reasons why I believe we have more time. I'm looking at the signs. I'm seeing the signs. But these are like we are in the beginning stages of 
what led to the corruption of all flesh in Genesis 6.12 that brought about the judgment. We're not there yet, but we're taking the steps in that direction. You, you know, I think uh, we have less time than that, uh, uh, Rob. And actually, well, what I think... I'm, except those days be shortened. So yeah, yeah how much true. we're getting a grace period, we don't know. But We don't know. And actually... Actually, actually, what you are you are showing is, is so important because uh, even what is uh, open to the public, it's quite crazy what we see that the what the world's doing. Yeah, but we don't know what is going in secret. <laughs> right. So secret underground bases and whatnot. They may be already a hundred years ahead. Yeah, I'll you know. I'll grant you that. Yes, true. You know, I I work in technologies, and then I was sharing in one of my videos that. Uh, you know, from a, from a technological point of view, everything is set in order to put control over the people. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's a matter to to put the right policies, policies then, and global, global, uh, world scale, international scale, in order to, to put everything to, to work as according to what is written in the prophecies. And actually, the only thing that is missing and currently is, the, is being discussed in the UN is to implement a kind of a universal digital ID. You know, everything is online now. Uh, they are, companies are able to, to track everything that we do to, uh, through the social media, uh, through the online transactions, and so on. And the only thing that they are not able is to control and to identify who is the people, the real person that is doing all of this. And the only way to do it is to um, assign a universal digital ID. And, and this is basically going to be our ID for everything that we do in the, in, in the web. We don't, we're not going to use the usernames and password for each one of the sites that we are we're using. We are going to use our unique identifier in the digital world. And this is already in discussion in the UN. And as soon as they are implementing it, believe me, and I'm seeing it in front of, in, in front of my eyes, this is going to be part of the system of the beast. This is going to be part of the mark of the beast. And this is something that is happening in our days. So oh, yeah, it, I would agree with you. I just bought a laptop. And the laptop uh, has Windows 10, and you know the you know most laptops nowadays have the embedded camera in it, and it has a facial recognition algorithm to un instead of logging in, you know, when you turn your computer on, instead of you know having a password or something, it looks for your face. Yeah, you know, and I wouldn't be surprised that if they whatever this this bio recognition uh, universal identifier. Is, is something related to your retina or you know something you know on a biological your unique biological signature because i'm definitely i mean just with the i mean just the laptops that have been coming out in the last few years you know either fingerprint authentication you know or what have you i would agree that's definitely already in the works and then tie that with the quantum computing that they have with these computers that are just quadrupling in intelligence on a yearly basis um the the idea that they would be put in charge of all of these verification systems it, it's not a big leap because it exists today they mm -hmm. have the ability to understand and interpret and, and make decisions based on all the information of the world today and these quantum computers are just you know they're they're growing in in intelligence yearly and so it's not a far step to think that eventually they flip the switch and these mm -hmm. things start actually implementing whatever awful thing that they wish to do in order to start having to verify people's 
identity and and saying, oh, well, if you haven't gone through our check system, you're not allowed to go into this grocery store. Guess what? You know, and, and that's really, it's not a far, it's not a leap at all. And and to kind of Juan's point, it's you, we could very likely be very close. And really, I think <laughs> going back to kind of the guy who was predicting the March 21st end of the world thing, well, guess what? I, I, I tried to chime in there earlier, but he did go through his own little personal rapture eventually. And yeah. And that's that's really when we look at these signs is they could be localized warnings for certain people, just as I know there uh, there's some some evidence to show that there was a solar eclipse that went over Nineveh before Jonah showed up. And it could be that these signs or these different things are localized warnings of judgment towards particular groups of people in particular areas and it's not worldwide catastrophe it's not worldwide judgment yet but it, it is a sign for somebody somewhere get ready your days next you know and and people we had to understand that anybody could be you know taken out of here at any moment and these signs are meant for repentance they're meant to warn us yeah. so whether it is right now or in a few years our end your personal end could be tomorrow on the subject of the technology, um, been um, happening over the last couple of years. Casinos have been using facial recognition software for oh, to, to actually catch the cheats. So mm -hmm. it's it's here and it's easy to implement. Yeah, according to, uh, what you said, Jake, about the quantum technology and monitoring this uh, great amount of data. This is in technologies called big data. And actually, it's already implemented. So all, all, all the companies, these big, big, big corporations, are using big data in order to understand uh, all from the all data sources, different applications, different platforms, what is the behavior of the people, what they are doing, what they like. So all, all things that we are not able to see uh, with our eyes, because it's internal in our thoughts, they are trying to understand the behavior of the people just analyzing the data. And this is already in place, this is already working, this is already being used. And also, all these big corporations are using, using what is called a machine learning. And this is related to artificial intelligence. This is already in place, it's already being used. The point is that we are not aware of it, because how, how this is being implemented all the time, is, is they are introducing little by little. We are not noticing what they're noticing, what they are introducing, and we are getting used for all of that to all of that. So we like it because it's more more easy, to, more, more easy, uh, much easier to to use. But uh, we are not uh, really understanding what is happening behind. Yeah, it's, so, it's, so that's why that's why I think is we are living in the and the time is very short. It's the whole idea of smart ads. And this is something totally freaky. The whole idea that um, people have personalized Google searches that whenever you're looking something up, the search results you get is based on your profile or your preferences. And and there's some freaky stuff that's happened to friends of mine where they've been talking about a particular topic or a restaurant in front of a computer. And then they get on the computer, and lo and behold, the first ad that pops up on their screen when they're scrolling down Facebook or on some website is that place they were literally just talking about, or the 
the the the item or product that they were just talking about with somebody in person and and it's the idea of smart ads where a computer or these algorithms can t t know something about you that you consciously are not aware of and it, it's yeah. really freaky um to me on a in a different sense is the whole idea that they will learn exactly what it takes to flip your switch to make you make a decision to tempt you in a way that causes your mind or whatever path uh, you know, A, B, C, and D leads you to commit such and such act or go and do such and such, they are learning exactly what your your path is, your trigger in your mind that causes yeah. you to go and, and, and look up something or go and do something, go and purchase something, make that phone call, do this or that. These computers are learning something about your mind that you're not consciously aware of, and that's so freaky. Because that's when you have to be like, oh, dear, I, I, I got to rely on the Ruach to warn me when I'm being triggered in a way that biologically I'm not aware of, but that is absolutely the path that I've always seemed to take whenever I'm making decisions. And that is beyond freaky. That's yeah, so that important point. Go ahead, Rob. Well, I think it was the movie um, Minority Report. Uh, if I remember right, where like uh, Tom Cruise is walking in a mall or something, and like as he's walking, all these virtual ads are popping up that that like they know it's him, so they're like, hey, you know, you're blah 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 blah. Like, it's all all custom targeted specifically to him, and you know this has been happening for a while uh, through um, Google Ads um, algorithms based on your browsing habits. Like if you go to some of my websites where I have ads on the website, a lot of people that don't understand technology don't realize how that works, but some of you guys probably do. But all it is is a little line of code that says, put an ad here. Yeah. That's it. I didn't physically place an ad on my website. There's a code that just says, put an ad here, and that code knows your browsing habits. So like when any of you go to my website, it's feeding you ads custom made to you based on your browsing habits. And I actually had some brother out there go crazy on me once, you know, saying, you claim to be a Christian. You got this virtual house church. You got this stuff. You got ads. You got this pornographic ads on your website. I said, dude, you just exposed yourself because <laughs> all I have is a line of code that says put an ad here. It's based on your <laughs> browsing habits. So, you know, thanks for the confession, buddy. But, <laughs> you know, you just outed yourself. You know, so that's happening. This has been happening for a long time. But, you yeah. know, to your point with the facial recognition and, you know, if we got these things sitting next to us in proximity, these things are always on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and, you know, I was sitting here I don't watching something and all of a sudden and I don't have Siri turned on here. And all of a sudden my phone was sitting over there and I was just watching something here on my computer and it says, Hello, here are the search results for Im that you were looking for for immortality. I'm like, what? I'm looking at my phone and, it, and it's feeding me uh, web pages on, on immortality. And the first link that popped up, the very first one, I was like, huh. It was something about Japanese scientists looking for the key to immortality with uh, some kind of jellyfish. I'm like, what? So I click on that and I read about it. And apparently there's something in the first line 
like the first paragraph on the website was a quote from the Epic of Gilgamesh, which I was just then reading and using, you know, some information for a script that I'm writing. So I'm going, how the heck does Siri know that? Like my phone's over here. I'm writing stories about, you know, Epic of Gilgamesh and stuff. It says, here's the results you're looking for. And pops up this whole Skynet. thing. Skynet. Yeah, it's like Skynet. Skynet. Like, Skynet. Machine learning. It's fr it is freaky, man. We, we're definitely in some interesting days. Question for you guys is: At yeah. what point do we break free of the technology? What at what point do we start to fear this device? At what point do we say, "All right, the mark of the beast is coming through a device similar to this," or the image of the beast is coming through a device similar similar to this? At what point do we go, "It's here. Let's throw this not, away"? Not, <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, not, you not, you make you that. made. A, yeah, sorry. You made a, a very interesting point, and actually, this is everything related to the great deception. Everything is deception, and what you said is basically we are so te technology dependent now that mm -hmm. even if we want to go with, with from one point to the other, we are using an application, a mobile application, in order to do that. And instead of do instead of doing that, what the the and coming back to the to the word of Yahuwah, what the people were doing in the past, David was asking Yahuwah if he needed to go to the right or to the left. So instead of putting our trust in the Ruach HaKodesh, we are trusting in the technology, we are trusting in an application in order to do everything, every action in our life. So it's basically taking, out total, it taking us totally out of the real path to trust in the only one that we need to trust. That is him. You know, I saw something the other day Jake, to go along with your question, um, <clears throat> it was a interesting ad that popped up for me. It was talking about the Lost Ways. And it's a book called The Lost Ways, and you know, buy now. And this is one of these deals where you know, regular price, blah blah blah, limited time offer, and then you you know, click through, and they're always trying to upsell you on fifteen more special reports on survival or whatever. Um, but what was intriguing to me about this, and I did get this book is the premise behind it is they were saying you know right now we have all these um you know ministries and people out there you know talk preppers right we got these tv shows about prepping and and don't get me wrong i think it's good to be prepared you know just in general you know for not necessarily the end of the world but you know there could be a situation where power is out or what have you need to be able to be able to survive for a period of time but he was saying somehow our ancestors managed to go from the east coast of the united states all the way to the west coast with a stagecoach <laughs> and all their family in it you know and maybe a couple of goats and maybe a cow or something in tow you know and somehow w without having you know th th this mega bug out bag with you know a year worth of mre supplies <laughs> managed to live on the land and what the author of this book was saying that, that his grandfather um, weathered the, uh, the Great Depression. You know, when everybody else was freaking out because the economy took a nosedive, he's saying the fields are still there, the equipment still works. Uh, so what? The stupid money doesn't work. <laughs> you know, everything else is still good. You know, sun's still up, water's still flowing. You know, um, we need to get, we as a culture, need to get back to the old ways where, you know, newsflash prior to a hundred years ago, 
everybody lived off the land. <laughs> you know, they didn't have the grocery stores that we have. And so I, I got the book because I was like, you know what? I mean, mm -hmm. there are people like Zach Bauer and others out there who are going off the grid and are who are homesteading. And, you know, God bless them. I mean, I think that's great. You know, people like Zach are going to have a head start. When it does hit the fan, he'll already know how to grow food, you know, and, and live off the land, so to speak. But, you know, this is my way of prepping right now is, okay, yeah, how did they? You know, how did the Israelites, I mean, good grief, they you know came out of Egypt with, you know, a bunch of gold and silver and stuff, but, and some animals, but they managed to live just everybody prior to a hundred years ago. And there's still people around the world right now that are living off the land and things like that. We don't even know what plants to eat, you know, these days. And, you know, that's something, you know, when do we ditch the technology? Well, I, you know, everybody's going to have to make their own call on that. It is getting frighteningly close to that time, though, <laughs> I think. You just quote a scripture, Rob, and you didn't notice. Okay. It's written in Jeremiah, Jeremiah, that we need to stand in the way and look for the old path. Ah, uh, yeah. And actually, now that you are talking about that, and I didn't see it in that way before, every time that we look in, into that text, we are talking about the path of Yahuwah walking in Torah. But this is totally applicable in the way that we are living today. We're living in a modern life. Maybe what we need to do is to look in the old path, in the way that the disciples, in the way that the forefathers were living. It's applicable. You know, the scripture is, is applicable for every aspect of our life. So maybe this, this passage, passage in the scripture is also inviting us and pushing us to live according to the design that the, our creator designed, designed for us to live in this, in this world. Mm. Yeah, not to mention the the depth of agricultural imagery and lessons that we learn, especially with just the Hebrew language, is it's all based on agriculture. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, we're we're joined by Carlos. Hey, Carlos, what's going on, everybody? Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, man. All right. Hey, what's going on, <clears throat> man? When y'all start talking about all this technology stuff, that just uh, just spark a nerve because that's pretty much uh, right up there with my alley. Uh, just to say something about that, just it's funny because today I had to get my phone fixed, my screen cracked, and I was in the Apple store. So I had to make an appointment just to be able to get in the store. I get in the store, go to one of the geniuses, and they start taking off all this information. They're kind of trying to hide the tablet on me, but I'm kind of taller than the girl who's taking my information. So I look over and literally that she's like the questions that they're asking about me is like, what colors his eyes? What color jeans does he have on? What's his shirt? All this like information and what's the point of giving if we're not, you know, and they're like the leading technology when it comes to, hey, your fingerprint to turn on your phone. You're now the new one's supposed to have the new iPhone eight is supposed to have the retina for your eyes. You know, like we're handing our information we're handing all this technology because we're like, oh, it makes my life easy. Like when I went to pay, she's like, do you want to pay with Apple Pay? Just set up your fingerprint scanner again. And it's like everything they do, they don't realize that they're just handing away all their freedom. It's like you guys were saying about like, I'm huge into the technology. I have a technology channel on YouTube and um, that's how I started YouTube. But uh one of the things that I started noticing within the last two years was all this, uh, they call it the um, 
like home automation. Everybody's pumped up about this home automation, but you don't realize all you're doing is bringing more microphones, more cameras, more surveillance is just happening. And we're just, because it's, we live in a convenient world, like, hey, I can just press this and I can watch my grandma while she's at home. And yeah, you think you're the only one watching when in reality, <laughs> everyone is watching. I mean, they, and it's like, when I approach people and I tell them like, hey, maybe you shouldn't get that Google Home for your system, your system, because anytime you say, hello, Google, it hears you. What does that mean? That means that the microphone is always listening and they're just recording and storing all this data. It's stuff that you guys don't realize is happening because it's done in an entertainment fashion, like, or it's done in, uh, oh, it's a helpful way. So it, this is going to improve your lifestyle. But we're just slowly giving off our fingerprints, our DNA, or just giving it away without them even like forcing it on us. And I, mm -hmm. I, did, I see so many people that don't understand this. And it's frustrating because I'm like, listen, I love technology, but there's some technology I just can't have in my house. And in fact, like even my webcam, I have something to close it so you can't see me because I don't want them to just be, yeah, you'll be able to hear me, but I don't want you to have visual uh, aid on me 24 seven. I did the same thing with like my phones and stuff. I put a little, I have, the, I have these over my laptop. <laughs> these just people don't realize like all we've done and, and, it, and it's a video that I was planning on doing. I still have plans on doing, but other stuff gets in the way, but I mean, it was when the whole Xbox One came out, the whole Connect was like literally watching and spying people to the point where they were saying it was even allowing to see through walls. So, I mean, we're just giving and Windows 10. I mean, talk about losing your privacy, just downloading Windows 10 completely. You lose everything. So, yeah, when y'all started talking about this, I'm like, man, I got to talk about this because this is stuff. <laughs> who don't know. And I understand a lot of people don't have that, like that mindset. That's like very uh, suspicious, of everything. Some people just, you know, they, a lot, I get a lot of stuff from people that say, well, I don't have nothing to hide. It's not about hiding, but you're just giving away everything. And the more people give away, the more you are just losing and don't be surprised when, you know, Hey, they come knocking on your door saying, you know, so-and-so's, you know, talking about stuff that we don't like. And there you go. You actually are doing exactly what they don't want you to do. And that's why they're finding out. So yeah. it's one of the reasons why I don't, cause people are like, well, what happens if the internet goes down? I'm like, I can't see that happening. This yeah. is the, the number one resource they have to maintain control over us. You know, they, they need it. And, and like you said, we're making, I mean, just, they call it tracebook you know, instead of Facebook, you know, we've, it would have taken teams of people and decades of time to accumulate all the information that we now just throw out there for everybody to see for free, you know, and, and if they, if, if the internet goes down, you know, cause it's people like the cryptocurrencies, that's the mark of the beast. No, it isn't. Uh, you know, by the way, you know, we have electronic currency long before cryptocurrency came out anyway, you know, our own fiat money turned into cryptocurrency long before Bitcoin showed up. Um, they're not going to, that system's not going to crash because that's their number one source of information and control. 
I, I, I agree and disagree somehow, Rob. Why? Why agree? Because uh, all the system of the bees is going to be based on technology. Mm-hmm. That's true. Sure but, what I believe, but what I believe that's going to happen, and, and this is just a speculation from my side, and somehow also understanding some of the prophecies you know, from the scripture, is that um, a kind of crisis needs to happen in the world. And in order to introduce the system of the beast, there, we, need to, we need to suffer a kind of crisis in order to accept, to have a one world government, the, the, firm, the famous new world order. And, and the, only, the only way to accept that, and the only way in the way that I see it, is to have a kind of crisis. And it could be related to, I don't know, a momentaneous crisis uh, in order to accept the new system. Actually, in the, in the interview we did together, I think somehow that's connected to the, the science of revelation and also the sign of the dragon, that it could be somehow these messengers coming from the, the, the shaman, from the heaven, saying, mm-hmm. okay, guys, this is the way that we need to live. You need to implement this new world order. You need to have this working. But that the only way that we are going to accept that, that we are in the middle of a crisis. I, I would agree that it's either going to be a crisis or, I mean, you've got, and I just wrote something in the script that I was writing, Go back and listen to the words of Ronald Reagan, George H.W. H. Bush, Bill Clinton, and George W. Bush leading up to Obama. Listen to the things that they're saying. And in particular, Ronald Reagan and Bill Clinton both made references in public to the idea that the one thing that would unite all the people in the world is if visitors come from outer space, come here. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't need a crisis in that situation. All we need is all of us to realize, whoa, we're not alone out here, you know. And if they decide to pass themselves off as our creators, as as mainstream media, pop culture is trying to portray them, that ancient aliens are the ones that seeded this world with the necessary technology, whatnot, for uh, Darwinian evolution to then take place. They've set themselves up as our creators. Media has perpetuated that idea. Mainstream science is t- is perpetuating that idea. So in an event when they show up and say, okay, we're your creators. Ipso facto, we're your parents. Knock it off, kids. <laughs> Here's some new technology. Let's all play nice together. That could happen just as easily as you know a worldwide catastrophe to unite mankind. I, I agree, actually, and, you know, I, I'm charting my channel a series of the last days. And, and I think there is a plenty of evidence in the scriptures that the, before the Great Tribulation, we are going gonna, gonna, um, gonna to see the, the fall of the daughter of Babylon. And actually what I shared in my last video is that um, the understanding and the, what I was able to understand from the scripture when we, when we speak about Babylon, there are two Babylons. It's the great Babylon, the mother. And the daughter of Babylon, and there is a, it's quite easy to understand that there are what are the difference between both of them, and I think what's going to happen before the Great Tribulation is the fall of the daughter of Babylon, and and that's why I believe that what we are going to see happening in the world is a crisis connected to these messengers coming from the Shemai, the, the heaven, in order to establish the system of the beast. So it could be that maybe is what you are saying is only these messengers or these famous aliens coming to the earth, or maybe it's going to be a combination of both things. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> going back to this week's tour portion, because we're only got about a half hour left. Um, I made a note on Deuteronomy 20. 
uh, if you read verses 1 through 9, and then go back and read 1 Maccabees 4, 46 through 60, that's basically what they, the, the brothers, the Maccabees, the Maccabeans, that's what they were basically claiming. That's what they did. Pretty, pretty fascinating stuff. You know, I have, I have, I had something to to share with you about the Stora portion. <laughs> we started to discuss a totally different, different topic. It was quite interesting, anyways, and yeah. it's related to the model. We were discussing at the beginning about the model implemented the, uh, in Israel and directly by Yahuwah. and what we saw in in, in the Deuteronomy chapter sixteen, verse eighteen, uh, is about the judges in Hebrew is Shofetim. But uh, you know, when I when I was studying this, this topic, I saw, and actually we can see this in the same Torah portion, that uh, there are, there are mainly three roles uh, in this model, and the first role is the kohenim, the priest. The second role is the Levites, and the third the third role is the shofetim or the judges. And you can find this in the chapter seventeen, verse eight to thirteen. I can read it for you. It says the following. When any matter arises which is too hard for you to judge between blood and blood, between plea and plea, or between a stroke and a stroke, matter of strife within your gates, then you shall rise and go up to the place with, uh, which Yahuwah your Elohim chooses. And shall come to the priest, that's the first role, to the Levite, that's the second one, and to the judge, that's the third one, who is on those days, and shall inquire, and they shall declare to you the word of right ruling, and you shall do according to the word which they declare to you from the place which Yahuwah chooses. So it's basically three roles. Any of them can declare the right rule in the Mishpatim and what they need to do in the actions of the days. So you know what's the interesting thing on this? That the, in these roles, we don't see the role of a king. Mm -hmm. There's no a role of a king, of a melech, in the model that was implemented for Israel. And if you take a look and the... Um, if you take well, a look... But at the end of verse 17, it says, if you do take a king... Exactly, and and that's why because of what happened in the future, and, and this is what I what I wanted to share with you. So if we take a look in the in the in the model, who who was the first judge in in Israel? And what I understood was Moshe, Moses. Mm. And why is that? And we can we can confirm this in 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 Exodus, Exodus chapter eighteen. Let me look for this very fast. 18 verse 13 and actually this is quite quite nice because it's related to the seed of Moses that the Yahushua was talking in in, in Matthew I think uh, it says it says the following in Exodus 18 13 so it says and it came to be on the next day that Moshe sat to write rule the people so Moshe was judging the people and the people stood before Moshe from morning until evening. And when the father-in-law Moshe saw all he did for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit by yourself? And so on and so on. And what was the answer from Moshe? This is in the six, in the verse uh, 16. When they have a matter, they come to me, and I rightly rule between one and another, and may know the laws of Elohim and his Torah. So basically, we have two roles in the, in the time of Moshe. The role of Ayash, this is Moshe, and the role of the Kohen, the priest, that was Aaron. Uh, so this is quite interesting. And, and what, who was the last judge? And this is the part that you were talking about, uh, Rob. Uh, the last judge was Samuel. 
and we can we can find that and actually we are going to go directly to the to the CMO 8 and if you want to make some comments may in the meantime please do so this is in first Samuel chapter the, um, 7 8 or 7 first in the 7 15 to 17 just to confirm that the Samuel was the uh, judge uh, this is and Samuel rightly ruled Israel all the days of his life. And each year he made the rounds of Beitel and Gilgal and Mishpat, and rightly ruled Israel in all those places. Then he returned to Ramah, for his home was there, and there he rightly ruled Israel, etc. So he was the judge of Israel. And actually, if we continue in the chapter 8, 1, it says, And it came to be when Samuel was old that he made his sons ruler over Israel. If you take a look on the word rulers in, in Hebrew, the Hebrew word is shofet or shofetim. So that he was making his sons judges of Israel. But what happened, and we can see this in the verse 3 of the chapter 8, it says, but his sons did not walk in his ways and turn aside after own gain and took bribes and twisted right ruling. And this is exactly what uh, was uh, the um, forbidden for the judges of Israel in the, in the Torah portion. And what happened is in the history, the people was asking for a king. So in this whole model that the Yahuwah implemented for Israel, who was the king? If in the model, they, they, they didn't have a king. Who was the king in this model? Was Yahuwah. Yeah, Yahuwah, it was meant to be that he would be their king. Exactly. And that's why we see in the, re the reaction of Samuel in the same chapter. Mm -hmm. Because uh, it says in the verse 6, but the word was evil in the eyes of Samuel when they said, give us a sovereign to rule us. So Samuel prayed to Yahuwah. And what was the answer from Yahuwah? It says, listen to the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from right. reigning over them. So he's declaring that I am the Melech, I am the king. They are rejected me, they are not rejecting you. And actually it's even, 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 even more important because they, when we take a look in the same in the same book in the chapter 12 in the verse the 12 this is after Samuel where for for to find the king and was a uh, Saul and so on and Samuel was talking to the people um, it says the following he started to relate all what happened with Israel since the wilderness until that time and it says in the chapter in the verse 12 and when you saw that Nahash, sovereign of the children of Ammon, came against you, you said to me, No, but let the sovereign reign over us when Yahuwah, your Elohim, was your king, was your sovereign. Mm -hmm. So in the, what I see is in the entire model that uh, Yahuwah implemented for Israel, he was the king. And he implemented three roles, the judge, the priest, and the Levi. But after the people decided, and that's why we see the same in the Torah portion, Okay, he decided to put a king. But what, what we see now this happen is that Yahuwah is taking again, he is taking us to the old model. How? Because Yahushua is also a priest. Mm -hmm. Yahushua is also a judge. And Yahushua is also a king. So it's basically he is bringing us to the old model that he implemented for Israel through Yahushua. Yeah, and you know it's heartbreaking when you consider, when you actually go back and look at what Yahuwah said. You know, like you, you pointed out, they're, they're not rejecting you; they're rejecting me. 
Like God, at that point, you got to think, I mean, he married Israel at Sinai after delivering them from Egypt. This amazing thing that took place in the Exodus and said, look, and he hung out with them as a pillar of fire and smoke. And wow, I mean, and after all of that, they said, yeah, we want to, we want an earthly king. We want to be like everybody else. Wow. I mean, you want to talk about rejection. <laughs> and 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 Deuteronomy, as if predicting that that's going to happen, you know, he's going to multiply horses to himself and cause people and all this stuff and wives. And, you know, I made notes to myself, just like in the partial in 60 seconds, <coughs> Solomon, <coughs> Solomon, you know. Um, but he wasn't the only one. I mean, there are other kings that did the same thing. And, as well. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I use that same passage to, to say part of the reason why I'm not voting anymore. You know, uh, I, look, you know, they may not be hoarding wives and horses themselves, but they're certainly hoarding, taking my gold, <laughs> uh, taking our money, um, doing things without our consent. And, you know, I, I'm, that's not the that's not the kingdom I want to be a part of anymore. You know, yeah, I have the uh, on one hand the, the enormous blessing of living in this country because I've lived I've spent time in other countries enough to know that wow we got a good here, but at the same time, you know this this isn't my my home. You know, I, I have I have a king, a person that I have chosen. If I'm going to put my signature of endorsement to anybody, it's not going to be to some American president. It's going to be to Yahuwah because I don't want to be guilty of saying, nah, yeah, I know you like to work through pagans, so I'm going to go vote for the lesser of two evils. No, not going to do it. I have a, I see several examples online of, of people in different Torah observant communities advocating putting together these types of judicial systems and bringing elders together. What are your opinions on people who are saying, let's do it today, let's put this in place and, and operate by it? Uh, you know, I'm intrigued by that. Um, if they're able to, I mean, the only way I could see that that would legitimately work would be to basically become sovereign, a, a sovereign person, which means you, you volunteer, if you live in America, in the United States, you relinquish your identity as a member of the corporation that is Washington, D.C. So you get rid of your social security number, your all of your licenses, and there's a procedure to doing that. Um, I've watched a bunch of videos on that. I've talked to people who've done it before. I don't know. I'm not articulate enough to explain the process. But basically, you have to sever yourself from the system that you're currently in, because so long as you're in the system you're in, then you're subject to the laws that are part of this system. And so it seems to me, if you're going to set up a, a whole new system, which would probably have to include a um, your own monetary system along with it, I mean, you, you truly be an isolationist at that point, then that's the only way I could see that it would actually truly work. You know, because how how is the state that you're living in going to, recognize if you decide to take on this biblical model and set up a system of judges and whatnot and try to actually walk this out to the point where if somebody's caught in adultery, you stone them to death, then what's to prevent 
the the state of Texas, for instance, if you live here, from going against you as a murderer for exacting justice outside of the legal judicial system that's implemented here in the state of Texas. You see what I'm saying? I mean, it's you'd have to you'd have to truly divorce yourself from the judicial system that's in the land that you're in in order to implement a separate judicial system. Does it make sense? Yeah, you know, it, the whole topic is really fascinating to me um, because we see in the last days and many people, including me and you guys, believe we're definitely in some form of the last days is the governments are completely anti-God. They're completely against Yahuwah and in fact they're part of the beast system. And so I, I wonder about this topic, about implementing this type of judicial system of of groups of believers banding together and forming their own aspects of, and type of society in the last days, kind of in preparation of the tribulation season, and how that's going to look, how it's going to operate, how people like that are going to be coming together to band together during the tribulation, during the time of the bride in the wilderness, during the time of the mark of the beast, and when the Antichrist is coming to make war against the ones who keep the testimony of Yeshua and hold to the commandments. And so, you know, it's really, it's an interesting topic, uh, to say the least, because I think at some point, hopefully we're going to be directly led by the Ruach on how to do it and how to go about it in the proper way, because we don't want to implement our own man-made faulty system that's just as bad as the rest, right? But I do see yeah. something very similar to this, eventually being us being led by the Ruach in the last days to, to start acting in, in a way very similar to how it, it it really is kind of suggesting in the scriptures here in this portion. Correct. I, I believe that that's what's going to happen when we are, when the greater exodus takes place, when he pulls his people from every corner of the earth that we are in, and he gathers all of us together and takes us out into the wilderness, that's when we will all be officially divorced from the systems of government and whatnot that we formerly belong to and come under the direct governing of Yahuwah, Yeshua in the wilderness. And at that point, it seems to me logical that we would go back to a Torah-based system um, in that wilderness scenario. You know, I always like to, to answer with some passages from the scripture. So my answer to, to, the, to your question, Jake, I think we find it in the book of Acts. Chapter 1, hmm. verse 6 to 7. It says the following. These are the Talmud and the disciples asking to Yahushua before the, the ascension. It says, so when they had come together, they asked him, say, Master, would you at this time restore the reign to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. So in order to implement this system, this model, it's not going to be us. It's going to be Yahushua. He's gonna he's gonna come to the to the earth to to establish the kingdom of heaven. So as soon as the kingdom is established, is when we're gonna have the model, and actually we're gonna have the melech implementing the model for us. And actually, we we also we also have this and in an amazing prophet because we know in the book of Revelation that we are gonna be kings and priests, and and this is an amazing connection in the book of Ezekiel chapter forty four, verse twenty three to twenty four. And this is related to the son of Sadok. And we know that the, the book of Ezekiel is talking about the, the end times as well. 
So those son of Sadok is related to the promise that we are going to be kings and priests. And if you can see, and this is totally connected to the to the Torah portion of today, uh, 44, verse 23 to 24, it says the following. And they are to teach, talking about the son of Sadok, the, the priest, they are to teach my people the difference between the set apart and the profane and make them know what is unclean and clean. And they are to stand as judges in a dispute and judge it according to my rulings. And they are, they are to guard my Torah and my laws and all my appointed festival and uh, the set apart, set apart my Shabbat. So it's basically when is, this is going to be implemented, when the kingdom, when the Malchut, the kingdom of Yahuwah is, in, is established on the earth. What we can do in this moment, and we are in the wilderness of the people, is the same thing. And, and you, you were in this, this, this uh, very nice uh, uh, session, conference, uh, Rob, about uh, understanding the end from the beginning. Mm. We need to understand from the beginning what's going to happen in the end. And what mm. happened in the beginning? When Israel was in the wilderness, they were learning Torah. They were preparing themselves when they were entering, they were, uh, almost to enter in the promised land. Because in the promised land, we need to follow Torah. So now we're in the wilderness of the people. So it's our obligation to learn the Mishpatim, the right rulings, to learn, learn the Torah in order to be prepared as soon as the, the kingdom is established on the earth to know how to live according to the to Torah, according to those uh, right rulings. Mm -hmm. Amen. So based, basically, based on, on, on what Juan just said, these systems that are trying to set themselves up now are not uh, anointed because they can't be anointed until uh, Yahusha returns. Yeah, because in in a sense, you know, unless we are divorced from, like I said before, unless we are divorced from the current uh, judicial system that we have elected to be come a part of, you're going to run into all kinds of trouble. You know, because you can't, you would be, the system that we're currently in right now would view you as a vigilante, as a murderer, um, you know, any number of things that as long as we are within their system, they are legally correct in coming down on us, you know. So we've hmm. got to be pulled out of this system, either voluntarily, as some people are doing. Um, and as I understand it, th they are doing so legally within the legal framework of the corporation that we are currently a part of. Like there is a procedure that is legal to divorce yourself from this corporation. And you can do that. And so if you do that, then you are a sovereign person in the land and therefore can set up your own rules because you are in effect in your own corporation. <laughs> you know, so you can go out totally from the system, Rob. And actually coming back to, you can be uh, isolated somehow but you are going to be connected in any point, maybe in the minimum, to the system anyway. So coming back to the four shadows in the, in the scripture, let's go to the wilderness, to Israel. They were uh, in the slavery in, Mis in Mizraim, in Egypt. And actually what happened is Moshe escaped to, to Miriam. So it's, it's somehow those, those people that are trying to go out of the system, but he was connected anyway. So when, when Israel was able to, to start implementing the model of Yahuwah, is when Yahuwah took them out of the slavery. Today, mm -hmm. we're in the slavery of the system. So in the moment of the second exodus, he's going to take us from the four corners of the earth. He's going to uh, take us to the wilderness. And after that, he's going to implement, establish the kingdom of heaven here on earth. 
And it's the moment, it's exactly the same that happened in the past. It's the moment that we are going to have the system really implemented. Agreed. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with maybe doing a practice run, uh, you know, pretending, so to speak, um, getting used to what the system might be like, yeah. you know, which is essentially Matthew 18 anyway. If you have a problem with your brother, yeah. you're supposed to go to your brother and try to make it right. And if it doesn't work, you bring two or three witnesses with you and you try to reconcile the situation. If it doesn't work, you to bring them before the elders of the church and you're supposed to um, work out internal disputes amongst yeah. yourselves. It, it, so in a sense, we, ha we already have a, system, a New Testament system put in place to effectively emulate this to some level. You know, we can't take it to the level where the the pastor of the church is viewed as a priest and somebody viewed in adultery can be taken out back and stoned to death. <laughs> we we can't do that. You know, that's that's not right. That's not that's not legal. We don't have the authorization to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but we can get into the practice of uh, of of working within the biblical system that we have while in the lands that we are a part of that also have a judicial system that we have to abide by. The, the same happened in the time of uh, Yahushua. Uh, Israel uh, was in slavery somehow by the Roman Empire. And actually yeah. we, we find verses in Yahushua saying, if you are going to judge me, doing it according to right ruling. And mm -hmm. he's inviting us to to live according to Torah. So, it's the same that we need to do now. But when the whole system is going to be implemented, sorry. sorry? Paul did that too. Yes. Paul, Paul uh, having effectively dual citizenship, knew how to legally work the system, you know, and appeal to different authorities for, you know, different purposes that he had in mind. So, you know, you, you can still do the things of God within the system that you're in. And I think the New Testament models that for us. Actually, Paul is saying in Corinthians, I don't remember the chapter, when he's talking about the leaven and the lamb on the, on the dough and so on, he's talking, I'm not telling you that to, to judge the people outside assembly. I'm talking to you to judge your brothers. Mm -hmm. So is yeah, th This was something, you know, back in 2013 when certain high-profile pastors and teachers were out there coming against me. And, and doing so in ways that in every legal sense, Go, looking at the law, the way the, the judicial system is set up and the way the laws are written, I had every legal right to go after them for slander, defamation of character, and libel. Easily could have done so. And, you know, I was talking to my dad about it and seeking counsel on it. I'm like, Dad, you know, this is this is killing my ministry. This is you know, destroying my reputation. This person is saying this, and that's not true. It's a lie. This is slander. This is libel, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And my dad's response to me was, you know, biblically speaking, we should settle these matters internally. And I tried to. You know, we did some internal Matthew 18 stuff. And basically the response was, screw you, I'm going to come after you with everything I've got. <laughs> and they did. Um, and my dad's like, you know what? You've done what you were supposed to do. Let let Father take care of the rest. And I got to tell you, that's hard to do. Especially, you know, I'm a fighter. You know, I, I want to go in there and, and just get in the ring. You know, um, and to just 
step back and allow them to throw punches. Man, that's not easy. Um, but and but at the same time, there is some freedom in it, where you're like, okay, all right, this stinks, this makes me angry, but you got it, Father, and I'm gonna trust you. And I'll tell you just from personal experience that what has happened to me in those scenarios, yes, there's stuff that you have to deal with. There's repercussions for all of that. Um, and people calling you names and banning you from conferences and having views, stuff that hurts. But at the same time, Father does um, make up for it. Let me put it that way. And and, and blesses you in different ways. Hmm. And uh, sometimes you may even get the privilege of seeing him vindicate you eventually. <laughs> um I'm still waiting on some of that for some of these, for some of these things. Um, but at the same time, it's a growth process. You know, the, these things they say that build character are not fun. A lesson is repeated until it's learned. So apparently I've still got a lot of learning to do because I'm still going through a lot of the same lessons, you know. Um, but there's definitely uh, wisdom in what my dad told me. And it would say the same for anybody out there is, you know what, there is a Matthew 18 principle. There is a principle of working things out internally. And if they don't work out and the offending party continues to offend, turn it over to Father and let him deal with it. It is written you, in Hebrews oh, that, is sorry, Thomas, it is written in Hebrews that the Yahushua learned patience through suffering. So sometimes we, we go through trials because that's the way that he is working with us, but I agree with you, it's not easy, it's not easy at all. And you, were, you were talking about the, the folks that have, uh, quote-unquote, recaptured their sovereignty. Um, uh -huh. that, that's what, what that's called, where they, they divorce themselves from the system. Yeah. And the thing, though, is, uh, with all that, I've looked into this quite a bit. And if they use any part of the system they were under after they get out from under it, they're still under it mm -hmm. because they, they, and unless they find a completely way, a complete way of doing bartering, if they use money for anything, mm -hmm. they're still part of the system. And unfortunately the system knows that. And if they start causing waves, eventually the system will return on them. And, and and might yeah you, you're absolutely right man um the the one thing that may make that a little bit easier is uh the cryptocurrency is right. as as like bitcoin is becoming uh, a lot more universally recognized i mean some nations have just come right out and said okay you know it's as valid as any other currency um and that's what set the value <laughs> i mean uh, Robbie Davidson texted me the other day. He's like, dude, it's gone to $4,600. I mean, I got in when it was $1,200 just a couple months ago uh, because I had read that it's heading to three and some analysts say it could go to as high as five or higher by the end of this year. And it's already on a trajectory to do that. Uh, so, but you, you are right. If you say I'm out of the system and you take the legal steps to divorce yourself from the corporation, then you have to be divorced from the corporation. You can't mm -hmm. have your cake and eat it too. You know, um, 
say, okay, I'm out of the system, but I'm still going to use the system because I, you know, it's got benefits. You know, uh, somebody like Zach Bauer uh, is on track. I'm not saying that he's becoming a sovereign man. I don't know if he is or not. Um, but getting taking steps to get off the grid, to homestead, and to be self-sufficient in terms of his livelihood, um, then it's just okay. You you if you purchase a vehicle and you're able to use something like a cryptocurrency that is is not tied to the corporation and somebody's willing to accept that as payment and and then you pay for gas and things like that using something like a cryptocurrency that would be about the only way you could legitimately do it because otherwise like you said you're almost grandfathered back into the system by yeah. your willingness to continue to use the system Yeah, let me share one last scripture about the right rulings and the judging and so on. This is an amazing promise that I found in this in the book of Yeshayahu, Isaiah, chapter twenty-six, verse eight and nine. It says the following: Also, in the path of your right rulings, O Yahuwah, we have waited for you. The longing of your, of our being is for your name and for the remembrance of you. My being longs for you in the night. Also, my spirit within my within me seeks you earnestly. And listen to this, for when your right rulings are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world shall learn righteousness. Amen. So this is the promise and this is our this is our job and this is the purpose of Israel, to be light, to be light of the world. And this is what we need to do from now on and especially when the, the kingdom is going to be established. That's a perfect point to end on as we got about four minutes left. Um, what was that, Isaiah? What, 26? 26 verse 8 and 9 actually it's, it's amazing because if you read the first verses it's talking about the righteous nation and who is the righteous nations it's his people it's us isaiah 26 8 9 you said yes 8 and 9 i'm i'm making a note uh, to add it to i'm 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 working on if you see my notebooks they have a lot of dog-eared pages these are um Can Oh yeah, can you see? This is my notes in the scripture. Can you see what I read? Read <laughs> written over there. It's a yeah. Big hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right on. Um, the current version of um, the Deuteronomy workbook, I think, is this. This is still a first. Yeah, this is still a first edition. So, what what I've been doing as we've been going back through these again is, whenever I hear or find or read or you know somebody like you mentions another scripture that's a good fit for the Torah portion i'm adding them in for future editions because i think it's you know a lot of people are like well, they have you have there are different websites out there that have the Torah portions and the half torah and the brit hadashah or prophets and new testament readings and so there's this sort of this traditional list but if you look at my workbooks, I'll have the traditional list, but also more stuff to it. Because I'm really trying to show people that the Torah was, in fact, the Bible of the people in the Bible. And that all there's so many more writings that are confirmation. And you just read a perfect one right there that goes perfectly with this Torah portion. So, you know, stay tuned for future versions of the workbooks because they'll have some of these newer um, insights added to them as well it's the judgment uh 119 ministries just came out with a very nice piece on um what, what did they title it let me look, look up here at my computer and it is um judge not 
that just came out a couple days ago. Cool. So and it it they they did an excellent job with that. Nice. So look up the 119 Ministries new video, Judge Not. And uh, if you haven't done so already, uh, go to the Virtual House Church and look up week number 48. That's this week's Torah portion. If you haven't gone through it already, I recommend you read those scriptures and uh, check out the other resources that are on the page from the previous teachings and, and whatnot. So uh, right. with that, hey, thank you guys so much for joining us this evening. <coughs> and um, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat shalom. <laughs>